Right, welcome everyone to Fazlift's podcast, episode 34. The topic of today's podcast is the ideal first year. Right, so I had a question to give you a bit of a background on this. I had a question from a very young follower. He's 17 years old. And his message was simply to ask for help in terms of what, of how he should go about doing his first year of training. Now, I thought to myself, I'm not sure I feel like I want to answer the question of how he should start his first year of training. That's, that's a conversation for perhaps him to have with his parents um, and something along those lines. But I thought I, what I would be comfortable in doing is talking about what I did right in my first year of training. I did quite a lot of things right in my first year of training. And uh, I had, for me, I had one of those first years of training which I went from looking like a child to looking like a man in a year, essentially. Um, those stories you kind of hear of the people gaining of 25 pounds of muscle in their first year, that was me. And um, partly that was, I imagine, partly that was some genetics, probably. But a lot of it, as I learned later in life, my genetics weren't actually that favorable for bodybuilding. A lot of it was just a very, very good plan. I had a very good plan that first year. And so what I want to do today is talk you through my own first year of training. Firstly, the, tra the, uh, firstly the training and then the diet. And at each step of the way, I'm going to talk about what I did and also how I might do that differently if I went back in time. Same with diet. I'll talk about what I did diet-wise, uh, what I might do differently going back. Okay. So my first year of training started when I was about 18 years old. And uh, I suppose I should preface that with the actual first year of hard training started probably a year before that, or maybe six months prior to that. And I'm just going to talk about that briefly before I go into things. So for those of you who know me, you'll know that when I was a kid, I was quite fat growing up. I was a chubby little dough ball. <laughs> um, I didn't have very much in the way of physical presence. All of my PE reports, PE physical education, you guys in America, you might have, um, it might be called something else, but essentially you're the classes in school where you did physical activity, whatever you call them. We call them PE in England. So my PE classes, the reports from my PE classes, when they were sent home, they always read, he tries hard. <laughs> never, not once, did it say that I excel at anything in PE. I never did. I remember doing a bench press competition. The PE teacher decided it would be a great idea to get all the lads to go out and do a bench press competition. Of course, you could do that back in the day. You could exclude the girls and just bring the, bring the boys uh, and no one would bat an eyelid. And he did that, and it was on one of his old universal bench sessions. And so it wasn't actually a bench press. It was like a bench station off a universal multi-station. And I specifically remember the weight I lifted because it was 16 kilos. <laughs> it was pretty much some of the lowest in the class. I think the biggest that, the weight that was lifted on that day was about 36 kilos by one of the other boys. I was clearly way behind. 
And I always remember that. And I don't know why I always remember that, but I always did. Because I remember thinking, well, <laughs> that's not very good. <laughs> and for some reason that stuck with me. Um, yeah, I was always fat growing up as a kid. I was fat, but I tried hard. I was one of those kids who never really got picked on to be uh, on the football team and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, this is not supposed to be a sad story. I'm just, I'm supposed to be putting into, um, putting into uh, perspective what sort of background I was coming from. I was not the, I was not the captain of the football team. I was not anything along those lines at all. So came to, uh, when I was about 17, I was in college. Back then, we didn't really have a huge amount of six forms. So uh, Brian, this is addressed at you. I'm sure you, you're aware that nowadays six forms are quite popular. Colleges, there are, there are very few and far between. Colleges back in the day, you, they were mostly colleges. Six forms wasn't really a thing that we did. And for you guys listening in America, I think you, just, I think you guys just call that school. I think college for you is like university for us. Anyway, I was 17 and I was in the education system. And at 17, obviously, things happen when you're 17. You start to notice girls and then <laughs> you realize they don't notice you. <laughs> so I decided to do something about that. So, and I thought to myself, I would lose some weight. So I went on a cardio kick and I did I worked up to doing, over the course of six months, I worked up to doing probably, uh, yeah, I remember now. It was specifically about an hour and a half of cardio every day uh, with one day off, like Sunday. So an hour and a half of cardio, of running as well, um, which was pretty extreme. I mean, that's quite a lot. And I was also counting my calories. I had re read enough that I knew that counting calories was the thing to do. So, you know, despite me being a dough ball, I was actually fairly intelligent back even back then, because there wasn't a much, there wasn't too much information out there. But I recall reading specifically Lyle McDonald's material back then. Yes, Lyle was around, and uh, I had enough intelligence about me to know that counting calories was the the way forward. So that's what I did. I remember, specifically remember I had a calendar in my room, and the calendar I bought because it it listed the days, but there's also space to make notes. You know, people would put things like, you know, dentist appointment or whatever, but I didn't do that. I would put in my calories for the day. There was no MyFitnessPal. <laughs> you didn't have that. So my, my, prior to my first year of lifting, I did lots of cardio and I counted calories and I was young and I was motivated. I had all the motivation of a young fat kid who had never had a girlfriend. <laughs> so, so uh, that, by the way, that wasn't because of, a lack of interest. It was simply I didn't have the confidence to do anything about it. So there you go. So anyway, I ended up losing about four stone of weight. And I say weight because I wasn't really doing any proper weightlifting, so I don't know if it was fat or muscle or but I got lean, essentially. I looked completely different. I went from about 15 stone to about 11 stone by the end of the year. Now, come the end of the year, my eldest brother gave me some bodybuilding magazines because he used to dabble in it a little bit. He's a few years older than me. And uh, I remember I was sat there at home once reading through these bodybuilding magazines. And back at these were, these were all flex magazines or muscle mag. And uh, they, had, they were running adverts 
and you could advertise your products on there. And there was one book on there which stood out from the rest. And I don't, I don't know why it stood out, but I remember thinking back and thinking this made the most sense to me. And it was a book by a man called Stuart McRobert, and it was called Beyond Brawn. Well, actually, no, it was the original book was called Brawn. And it made sense to me because he was all about getting stronger as well as getting bigger. He was progressive overload. You guys who are listening right now, you've all heard of Jordan Peters, progressive overload method. You've all heard of dog crap training. This was the same style of training way before Jordan Peters was around. Jordan Peters started lifting probably 10 years after this book was released. So that, you know, for those of you who think you're, you know, onto the whole new progressive overload thing, well, <laughs> it was around a lot longer than before Peter's. And it will be around for a lot longer, long after him as well. Anyway, that made the most sense to me. I remember calling my brother, my, my other brother, my middle brother. He was at university. Um, and I remember saying to him, hey, this is pretty cool. I found this book. We're going to start training when you come back. He's like, great, sounds good. He's like, gym training? <laughs> I was like, yeah, we're going to get jacked. He's like, okay. That sounds fun. <laughs> so, uh, I said, yeah, I've got it all. I said, look, I've got it all figured out. And I had this book. I bought it. And, you know, in a way, we, in a way, that was quite nice. I mean, I didn't listen to many of the sources of information. There wasn't much out there. So I had this book. This book was my holy grail of information. And I just, I read this book and he had a great style of writing. And what he emphasized was getting stronger on a small pool of exercises and I'll tell you my routine. And it's not, it won't take me long to tell you, but I did this routine pretty much an entire year. On one day, I would chin, so weighted chins, and then dips, and then overhead press. On the next day, I would squat and deadlift. That was my routine. That was it. That's all I did. <laughs> did you get that? Or did you want me to go over it again? <laughs> it's five exercises. Chin dip, overhead press, squat and deadlift. And those five exercises would cover every area of the body, except for calves. And I, I, I would do some calf raises every now and again, but I wasn't that bothered because I had quite decent calves from being overweight as a kid, you know. So that's what I did. And I would add on a small amount of weight to the bar every week. And he kept saying that. He kept saying, progressive poundages in good form. That was what was written in his book all over the book. Progressive poundages in good form. And I always remember that progressive poundage is in good form. So my form was always consistent. And all I aimed to do was do a couple of sets per exercise. So two sets of chins, two sets of dips, two sets of overhead press, two sets of squats, two sets of deadlifts. And that was it. Maybe two sets of calves after the squats and deadlifts. That was it. I didn't do any arm work, nothing. And I just got, I just got stronger session by session. And then I noticed I got stronger month by month. By the end of that year, I'd gotten so strong that my squat was up to 170 kilos. Let me just say that one more time, 170 kilos. My deadlift was up to 210 kilos. I don't remember how much I was chinning and dipping at the time. I specifically remember I did manage to do a dip with, with 40 kilos around my waist. Overhead presses, I can't really remember, but um, I used to do them seated at a, a sort of a high incline. They got pretty heavy. They got pretty heavy, about 90 kilos. Um, now, you might be thinking to yourself, those are some pretty big numbers for an 18-year-old after one year of lifting. You must have been a, an easy gainer. And Well, 
I don't know if you could say I was really, because <laughs> it's, this is a story for another day, but my training grinded to a halt probably in my second year of training. But that's a story for another day. And how I got over that will lead me to the next chapter of my story. But for now, let's look at what I did and how I might do things differently or how I might encourage somebody else to do things differently. I'll be completely honest about this. I don't think I could have done anything particularly different in terms of training to have made it better because the results I got were phenomenal. I gained about 50 pounds of body weight that, that year. So I'd lost 50 pounds of body weight six months prior and I gained 50 pounds back along, but alongside I started training for the first time ever. And that put on probably half of that was pure muscle. So that's 25 pounds of muscle in a year. It was a phenomenal gain. Everyone, like I used to, I used to ride the bus to college and back. I wasn't driving then. And everyone thought I was on steroids at that time. So, I, you know, the steroid accusations I've been getting since I was 18, so they're nothing new for me. Literally 18 years old. And I had, my, my arms were a genuinely pretty big, I think 16 inches. And, you know, for those of you listening, that's not much. But for an 18-year-old kid who's, who was previously obese his whole life, and these weren't, these weren't particularly fat biceps either. These were, you know, I looked like I worked out. That was huge. Compared to everyone in college, I was the biggest guy there. Clearly, by far, easily. Um, and I was strong to boot. So all of a sudden, I went from being this dough ball to being really, really fucking strong. Pretty much within a year. So would I do anything differently? No, I wouldn't. Honestly, I wouldn't. I didn't have any major injuries. I really didn't do a great deal wrong that first year. And at the end of that first year, specifically September 2000, it was, so near the end of the first year, I competed. The gym was putting on a strongman competition and I competed in it. <laughs> and uh, I think that was a great thing to do. I would have done, I would, I would push everybody to compete because that made me better. Because I was going up against some real beasts. Because back then, gyms weren't full of gyms weren't full of like mediocre 25 to 30 something wannabe lifters who are faking their way through bench presses by getting their mates to pull it off them or or just telling everybody that they'll compete when they're ready gyms back then were full of guys who were big like you walked into my old gym full force gym in 2000 or applebee's gym in 2000 there were at least eight to 12 guys there who all weighed 18 stone. So for me, doing the lifting that I was doing was no big deal because I went to the gym and I was surrounded by these monsters who were still twice my size. So it was no big deal for me to be lifting these weights. I saw in my first year of training, I saw guys who were legitimate 200 kilo benches and who looked the part as well because they were benching with a pause at the chest and lifting it off on their own. I saw big guys who weighed 100 kilos doing weighted chins, strict form with 20 kilos around their waist. I saw guys deadlifting 300 kilos. 
And this was not an unusual scene on any given day. This was normal. And one, another thing that I did, which was very good, was I would talk the ear off these guys. I would ask them questions. Every time I went into the gym, I had another question to ask. And I would always ask these questions to all these big guys. And I, just, I went up to them and asked them questions. And uh, there was never a, no one ever got frustrated with me. Or at least they didn't show they got frustrated with me. They, they were like, yeah, we'd, we'd, we'd love to answer your questions. They liked the fact that I was taking an interest in what they did. Because to society, I imagine they were kind of oddball. Most guys who train now, and I don't mean this offensively, but you can't really tell they lift if they're in work suits. You know, they don't look like they lift. Um, but, but that's kind of what they want to go for. They, want, they don't want people to know they lift. They want people to know they look like a little bit athletic. That wasn't the case back in the day. All these guys were just monsters. So I imagine walking around Tesco or Sainsbury's, you know, people would be looking at them like they're oddballs. But here they had a kid who kept asking all these questions who were looking up to them thinking, these guys are, these guys have got knowledge that I wanted. You know? Um, and I wasn't like hero worshipping. I, I literally wanted to know what they knew. And they all said the same thing. They all emphasized what was written in my book. They were like, yeah, get stronger, get bigger, eat more. And I was like, great. And, that's, and it all worked. It all worked. And I think it's important to do that. It's important not to be afraid to ask the big guys in the gym questions. So one thing I've noticed over the years is I get, that every, I get it every now and again. I'll get a genuine comment, but they're few and far between. Um, I guess because people would rather go on the internet and buy someone's crappy program rather than ask the guy at the gym, hey, what do you do? Because, you know, people have, people are, people have a walk around thinking, well, you know, I'll just get the information off the internet. There was a wide variety of information. There. And there is now. We didn't have much back in the day. We didn't have a great deal. But in a way, that was almost helpful because the, the sources of information that were around were all pretty much saying the same thing. As long as you could filter out some of the BS, they were all pretty much saying, get bigger, get stronger, eat more. And the cycle just goes up and up like that. And everybody wants to be big. Everybody wanted to be 18, 20, 21 stone. You got to remember the 2000s were reeling, literally reeling from the Dorian Yates era. And I grew up in the same area pretty much as Dorian Yates. I was, I was an hour, hour drive away from Dorian's gym. So all the bodybuilders, they were all massively influenced by them. But you know, that's a story for another day as well. I can tell you a few stories about that I've heard about Dorian coming onto the bodybuilding scene what the local lads, how they would train. You know, I, I could tell you all about that another time, but for now, let's stick to the training. The point I'm trying to make is this. My training influences, my focus was simple. It was to get bigger and stronger. The focus at the moment for, for what I see with a lot of guys is they're scared of competition. They feel they're not ready. And where's that pressure coming from? You ask yourself, it's all self-imposed. Oh, I'm never going to be ready because they open their Instagram up every day and they, you know, they think, oh, I'm never going to look like that. So they never try. It's a fear of failure. I see it a lot in people. They, they're, they're scared to try. The number of people who I've, who I've had say to me over the years, well, I'm not ready for competition. I'm not going to compete. I'm not ready. 
I think you should compete. This is going back to my, the point of what led me off onto this tangent. I was a better lifter and a better bodybuilder for competing. Competing made me better because it forced me to focus my efforts. It made me realize where I stood in the grand scheme of things. So I did that competition in September and I didn't do very well. I didn't get past the knockout stages and I wasn't down to the final round. But you know, I didn't care because it was my first competition and I did it. And everyone was super proud of me, super proud of this 18 year old kid who just got in the gym and actually dipped in at the deep end, gave it a try. And it's so different to what you see these days. Nobody wants to compete because if they do compete, they only want to win or nothing else. Nobody actually has got the balls to go in and do the first competition. And that's quite a shame because people will wait five, even 10, even 12 years of training before they actually compete. And in that time, they're just going along in a mediocre fashion. Before you know it, you're in your 30s and you've really accomplished very little in a field that you spend a lot of time in. But you know what? They can always go on Instagram and fake it and talk about their dedication, talk about bigging themselves up. So that's how they get around it. We didn't have Instagram back in the day. If you wanted to show everyone that you were a good lifter, if you wanted to show everyone that you were a good bodybuilder, if you wanted to show everyone what you did, you competed and you went up against other people. And that was real. That wasn't fake, filtered, captioned. It was real. Reality makes you better. Hiding away in social media does not make you better. And I see too many guys now who waste their talents, their hidden talents, because they're hidden because we don't even know what they are, because they've not even tried hard enough to know what their talents are. So they're automatically looking around at everyone saying, well, everyone's on drugs, so I'm not going to compete. I'm doing okay because so-and-so told me I was doing okay. And they can put it on Instagram and slap it on Instagram saying, uh, yeah, you know, look at this. I did this. And just like, just basically BS. And everyone, you know, people believe them because they don't know any better. But anyway, that's another tangent for the day as well. Back to the training. So a couple of things I did right. I train heavy. I train hard. Progressive overload in good form. A very simple routine. And my aim was just to get stronger. And all I, all I wanted to do when I first did my, did my first set of dips with body weight was that I wanted to dip with a 20 kilo plate around my waist. Then I wanted to dip with a 40 kilo plate around my waist. Same with the squat. Firstly, I wanted to learn how to squat properly. Once I got that down and I was squatting maybe 40 kilos, 60 kilos, then I wanted to squat 80. Then I wanted to squat 100. Then I squatted 120. And then 140. So it was always adding a little bit of weight on every time. I added maybe one or two kilos every week. That's it. That's all I'd do. Nothing more than that. One or two kilos. Nothing more than that at all. Uh, whereas you see guys now, they're like, you know, if I'm not if I'm not benching 150 kilos or 140 kilos, there's no point. So I'm just going to fake it and get my friend to lift the weight up, plaster it all over Instagram as a PR, and lie to myself because I don't have the balls to actually do it properly. And then convince myself that everybody else is on drugs and that's why I lift like shit. That's what people do these days because that's the easy way out. And as I say, we didn't have that back in the day. We didn't have social media. If you wanted to show off 
it was real. You couldn't go to a competition where other people were watching and fake it. <laughs> so that's the reality that people are scared of these days. And it makes them worse lifters. It doesn't make them better. Hiding away doesn't make you better. Challenging yourself makes you better. You're not challenging yourself by faking it on Instagram. This is why I always urge people to compete. So that's what I would do. And that's why I would have a great first year, put on a ton of muscle and I would compete. And I would make sure every week I had a little bit of weight to the bar. That's all I would target. All right, let's move on to diet. So diet is where I probably would make some small changes. My diet to put my weight on was I put on approximately a pound a week for literally a year. Because it was about 45 to 50 pounds. Pound a week for literally a year. Now, the only thing I would change about that is, and you might think to yourself, that is a horrendous amount of weight to put on. Sure it was. Sure it was. But then look at the result. I gained in that year probably the same amount of muscle in that year as I did throughout the rest of my time lifting. So I gained the same amount of muscle in that one year as I did in the next 19 years of lifting. Just let that sink in a second. Just let that sink in. And for those who see me, you know I'm not exactly small. You know? I wouldn't say I'm, I'm not pro-level size at all, but I'm not exactly small. So you look at guys who've been lifting 10 years, who are, and if you're listening to this and you've been lifting 10 years, and you know full well, if you strip your body fat down, you're nowhere near as big as I am. Well, what have you gained? What have you gained? Can you safely say what you've gained? If you're walking around 30%, 40% body fat, can you realistically say what you've gained? What you've actually gained? Uh, I don't know. Can you? Or is it going to be another lie to yourself and pop up on social media tomorrow, pop up a post about never giving up, doing what it takes, and any other number of cliches to make yourself sleep better. So if you've not dedicated yourself to an actual proper gaining phase, would I do anything differently? I don't think I would. Possibly I might make the diet a little healthier. That's about it. The only other thing I would do is I would have actually dieted down to see abs. That's the only other thing. In terms of the gaining, I did what I needed to do to put on muscle, and it worked. The only thing I would have done is in my second year, I would have got shredded. That's it. That's it. In my second year, however, I went to university. And uh, you can just imagine the look of the faces of my colleagues, <laughs> my other university friends and housemates, who just saw this 18-year-old <laughs> just tank walk into and uh, walk on campus. Um, it was an unusual sight, let's just say. But so I never really got the chance to shred down. But I suppose had I do that again, I probably would have shredded down. It was a little bit too much to just learn how to live on my own, away from home, away from family, all that kind of stuff. So I never did shred down that first year. And actually only that first year of training was that first year at university was a bit of a write-off, but I should have, I should, I did have about six months prior to that to actually shred down. So I should have taken that time to shred down. That's the only thing I would do differently. Um, but in terms of putting the muscle on that first year, I did what I needed to do 
to ensure a pound of weight gain per week. Now you might ask some questions about, well, what was it that you did? You say you did, you knew what you needed to do, but what exactly was that? Well, I drank a lot of milk. I ate a lot of food. Not all of it was clean. Not much of it was clean, to be honest with you, but I got the calories in. I made sure to get some protein in. Again, from reading books by Lyle McDonald, I knew that my protein intake had to be at least decent. There was a lot of chicken. There was a lot of eggs. There was a lot of milk. And to get the calories in, there was a lot of extra stuff on top of that. That's that's as simple as it could have got, and that's exactly what I did. So it wasn't expensive. It wasn't inconvenient. It wasn't me walking around with Tupperware containers. It wasn't me hashtagging my clean chicken salads on Instagram alongside with my... <laughs> this, this episode is turning into a bit of a rant, isn't it? The rant can be a different episode. But I guess my the, rant, the reason that I'm ranting is I had a better first year than many people have first 10 years of training. Not because I was particularly amazingly genetically gifted. I wasn't. But simply because I had... One, I had a good plan. I knew I had to get stronger. Two, I knew I had to eat more. And three, I didn't BS myself. I think that was the most important thing. I didn't BS myself. And that is really what separates a winner from somebody who just fails over and over again. If, there's nothing wrong with failing. But if you fail, and you've failed in your training, and you've failed in your accomplishments, but you plaster it all over Instagram and social media and hide it as a, as a win and hide your failures as a win and, and disguise your failures and dress them up as, and put them down as a win, you've learned nothing. You've just lied to yourself. Don't lie to yourself. You probably can do better and you probably should. So it's a mindset issue more than anything with a lot of people. There's far too many people out there who aren't making this kind of progress and who are happy to point out all the drugs in the world, happy to point out the genetics, happy to point out any other number of things. The number of comments I've had over the years, well, you know, you don't have this, you don't have this commitment, you don't have that commitment, you don't have this, you don't have that, whatever. It's like, whatever, you know. But I had a plan and I didn't lie to myself. And that, I think, is the biggest thing that's going to help you and learning not to bs yourself is huge um and i think that's so vital and i see it in so many different areas people who say they can't gain weight just who just eat like birds i actually had one guy try and convince me once that he's such a hard gainer he loses weight in his sleep i was like are you kidding me everybody loses weight in their sleep because you don't eat for eight hours <laughs> And he was like, he thought that was just special to him. Seriously, seriously, that's what he thought. He thought he was the only one who lost weight in their sleep. He just assumed that everyone magically gained weight in their sleep somehow. I was like, are you literally insane? Like, is that... And another guy was saying, you, know, you, don't, you don't have this commitment, you don't have that commitment. It's like, well, no. Another guy was like, yeah, could never compete. You know, I can't, I, I, you know, I'm not, he said, he said, I'm natural. That's why I can never compete. It's like, plenty of natural people compete, mate. A lot, a lot of times I don't really argue, argue the point these days because at that stage, these type of people have already made up their minds. These type of people have already decided that they're going to be losers because they're not going to do what it takes to win 
at the endeavor they spend so much time on. And my whole attitude towards it is, if you're going to spend that much time at something, why not be good at it? What you, you might say, well, I'm just doing it to enjoy myself. Great, enjoy yourself. You might find you enjoy yourself a lot more if you actually accomplish something. Because I'll tell you this, I've seen in 21 years of training, I've seen many people drop out. Many people who said, I'm only in it to enjoy myself. I've seen them drop out because you know what? Ultimately, people and human psychology being what it is, you need more than just to enjoy it. You need to actually get something out of it. If you're not getting anything much out of it, if you've never got anything out of it, I'm not talking about guys who've lifted for 10 years and are now winding down. I'm talking about guys who never accomplished anything. They'll just drop out. Or the latest trend is disguise all your failures, hide all your failures, and manipulate your failures to be successes on Instagram. Because that's easier than owning up to the fact that you're too scared and it's of the hard work it takes to actually accomplish something. And realizing that it's not drugs, it's not your life, it's you. You are the issue. Anyway, that was supposed to be a bit about my first year. Hopefully you've got something out of that. And um, if some of my ranting describes you, and if you've got enough intelligence to actually recognize, and intelligence and introspection to actually recognize that it is you, then I hope you take that on board and do something about it. All the best, everyone. That was the first Fast Lifts podcast of this year, episode 34. I am in the process of making contact with some guests for follow-up podcasts for this year. Should have quite a, quite a lot lined up. So, speak to you all soon. Hopefully you all enjoyed that. All the best. From me, take care.